You are listening to the politicalbetting.com Polling Matters podcast. My name is Kieran Pedley, and we're back after a couple of weeks off, and there's lots to talk about. We're going to be talking a bit about the European election results, although they are a couple of weeks old now. They're still, um, they feel somewhat seismic, or at least um, important in the dynamic that is um, Westminster politics at the moment. Um, we're also going to then move on to talk about the opinion polls more generally. Very, very volatile situation at the moment. And we'll also take some time to talk about the Tory leadership race. Is Boris a shoo-in? We'll be looking at some of the numbers and what, what, what we can learn from that and what we can learn from what's actually going on in Parliament. And at the end, we may talk a bit about Peterborough as well, the town of my birth, although not really where I grew up. That's another story. And to go through a lot of that information, uh, I'm with fellow podcaster, co-host, Leo Barassi. Leo, welcome back. Hello, Kieran. And we've managed to go sort of 10 minutes or so uh, sort of prepping for this show without Leo bringing up last Saturday. So that just shows what a big man uh, Leo is. Maybe maybe he's forgotten the little people now. The six. I, I, know, I, know, I know some wounds are too raw, Kieran. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's always Istanbul next year. I mean, you don't need to do that one again. So uh, yeah. that's uh, that's the plan. Full steam ahead, Spurs. Anyway, let's talk a bit about the Euros, Leo. Um, a couple of weeks old, as I said in the introduction. Um, but it felt to me like something, even even for an election that we didn't see coming, wasn't supposed to happen, and might be irrelevant if uh, Britain leaves the EU quite shortly, still felt like an important uh, milestone in, in wherever we're going. Yeah, I think so, because I think what it has done is crystallise Brexit as being the salient topic in electoral politics in the UK at the moment. And um, I guess I has sort of felt like it was something that was coming for a while. And compared with where we were at during the uh, 2017 election, um, we have now been at the point for a little while where Brexit has been the issue that people were quite strongly saying was the most important face in the country. But I think that felt like it hadn't really played through yet into voting decisions and i think this has been the triggering event that has forced people to um use that prism of, of brexit to uh, cast their judgment on the party so i think it, it has shaken things up quite a bit and in many ways the brexit party showing how you launch a new party didn't they um some you know you can debate how new nigel farage is obviously he's been around for a very long time but you know very slick uh, social media activity um making some sensible strategic decisions about you know not not launching a detailed manifesto just going big on the um on the issue of the day and you know that they've um uh well won won the election in that they've topped the poll i don't know how people want to to sort of interpret the idea of winning a european election but they certainly convincingly um got the most votes didn't they and uh, yeah i mean i think it would be pretty churlish to say that they did anything other than win it mm. right i mean okay they did only somewhat better than ukip did last time but nonetheless you know I, I'm not sure what metric you could use for winning that wasn't what they did. And, and obliterating the Conservative Party in the process, at least in this election, right? I mean, we're going to come to the Tory leadership a bit later, um, but you know, the Tories got 9% of the vote. So, I mean, clearly a, a huge chunk of their vote either stayed at home or went to the Brexit Party. Yeah, and I guess, I mean, it sort of come, comes back to this point that if if you anticipated that the election was going to be an election about Brexit, then I guess in a way that this was predictable that the Tories and also, not quite to the same extent, but also significantly Labour would be pummeled because they were the parties that didn't have anything particularly appealing to say for the most motivated voters on Brexit. Um, but I've, I've you know, 
I think that that was something that wasn't universally predicted. Sure, I guess everyone um, was looking at the polls and saying that the Tories would do badly, but I think Labour's underperformance as well was was something that was perhaps logically there, but was not so widely anticipated. Well, I mean, credit to yourself, Leo, on this, on this very podcast, you said that you thought the Liberal Democrats would uh, would come second, didn't you? And uh, lo and behold, they did. Um, yeah, well, a great well, night well, for that well, party. Thanks, thanks, thanks Kieran. I, I did indeed. Um, but I mean, I guess I, you know, I was thinking back at. Um, sort of what I got right and what I got wrong. Um, so I think um, this point that I think I said f- for quite a while that Brexit would be the thing that would um, dominate the the election and that would be a big problem for the Tories and Labour. Uh, as as you said, I, I think I certainly said that there was a good chance. I'm not sure I stuck my neck out quite as far as saying that Lib Dems would definitely beat Labour, but certainly well before the polls said that they would, that it seemed quite plausible. On the other hand, I also a while ago suggested that Change UK uh, could do very well if it was a very uh, Remain versus Leave focused election. Obviously, that didn't come to pass. Um, so I was sort of thinking about what what I and perhaps other others who are sort of making similar calls can can learn from it. And I guess one thing that certainly happened was it. It was it was an election when it was reasonable to make predictions that were not based on current polling. So even at a time where the Lib Dems were far from second, I think it was reasonable to look at what the election was likely to be about and anticipate that the polls would change quite a bit. So the sort of I think that vindicated an approach of paying attention to the underlying logic of what voters will be thinking about during the election and how they will there then respond to the parties um, who have positions on the, on that issue. So, you know, that's obviously something that I think is relevant in all politics. And you've certainly talked about, Kieran, when you've talked about the, the next Westminster general election of sort of the difficulties that the Tories might have uh, because of whatever's going to happen on Brexit that might not be currently reflected in polling. So, you know, sort of a good sense of using your own logic and and sort of thought uh, thinking about what's going to happen um on the other hand why did i get change uk wrong um i guess for me that's not so much a failure of interpreting the polling but understanding the sort of the reality of politics and what the systems and the structures could look like and i think there's a question i don't know the answer to about whether their failure was inevitable um, that a small new party that came from nowhere could always do badly in the election. Well, obviously that wasn't the case because another one won it. Mm. Um, so was it the case that if Change UK had indeed called themselves the Remain Party and been much smarter with their launch and um, with how they handled lots of lots of individual things, could they could they have done much better? I don't know. I think it's possible, and I think again that's a case where you have to not look at polling and and think about what. Well, it's a it's a judgment call, isn't it? I mean, I mean, I've been banging this drum for a long time, so I mean, we all look for confirmation bias in in, in our opinions, right? And let's let's, let's be honest about it. But I mean, I, I look at Change UK, and I absolutely, uh, I think I've said on this podcast before, they should have called themselves either the Remain Party, or if they didn't want exactly the same name as the Brexit Party in reverse, if you like, then the Remain Alliance, or I don't know, the Remain Coalition, or something with Remain in it. Because ultimately, if they had gone into these European elections as the Remain Party, they would have had a much, much better chance of capturing that vote. And we'll come to the polling in a minute. But one of the things that was very, very clear when you looked at the numbers uh, for voting intention figures and from Farah's um, going into the election as well, was that uh, the Remain vote was very, very undecided about where it was going to go. Um, about 40%-ish of the Remain vote said, 
um, I might change my mind going into um, the European elections, whereas the number was a lot, lot lower for Leave voters. They knew exactly where they were going. They were going to the Brexit party. Now, maybe that was, again, inevitable because there were the several choices there. There was the Liberal Democrats, uh, the Greens, let's not forget, they did very, very well. Um, some signs with them that that's not just about Brexit, um, but that's maybe for another day. Um, but yeah, I mean, what's changed UK? And the final point I would make is, I mean, one of the things I'm very grateful for doing is, is, is political focus groups from time to time because it reminds me as a, um, as a politico card-carrying, as it were, although not political party card-carrying, um, that you know, the, the general public don't necessarily follow this as closely as people like us do. So when you see this thing change UK with that Jukra Munna and Anna Subri uh, bloke and woman, what does it mean to you? Nothing. So, I mean, you've got to keep reminding yourselves and the listeners to this show need to do that as well. People do not pay anywhere near as much attention um, as you think they do. They don't know anywhere near as much as, as we do. Um, and that's not an insult on them. So, yeah, I mean, they had a great, uh, they had a good moment of publicity. There was lots of goodwill for about a week. Didn't capitalize on it. And I think clarity of message is really, really important. And the well, Brexit, I mean, Brexit Party I mean, has it and they don't. Well, exactly on that point, if we go back to the poll that YouGov ran in late April, um, where they asked um, respondents where the parties stand on Remain Leave, um, Brexit Party 79% realised that they were pro-Brexit. There's 3% of people who say that they thought that Brexit Party were anti-Brexit. There's always 3% who say something ridiculous in a poll. Um, Change UK, only 38% saw that they were anti-Brexit. So more people didn't know um, than thought that Change UK were a Remain party, which I think says a lot about about this problem that you're talking about. So obviously, we're talking a bit, a bit, a bit about polling. I mean, you're you're a man who, uh, look, I'm just going to mention it once, might have lost a football match recently, but <laughs> you uh, did do extremely well in a uh, polling match uh, to crowbar in a comparison yeah um is that the real quiz is that the way around i wanted it i don't um anyway let's not answer that question on the podcast um yes ipsos mori um most accurate pollster in this election be foolish of me not to plug that a little bit for those of you that don't know i'm sure people do um a lot of people have been asking me sort of offline in different events we've been at and stuff like that what what it was um that made us get it right i mean the thing i think the thing i would say is Obviously, there was a few, a few sort of sweaty brows, as it were, when we, when we realised that we had the Lib Dems convincingly in second, and um, you know, I think only YouGov were the other pollster that had the Lib Dems in second. So, you know, our numbers were quite different to some of the others that were out there that had been published maybe a little bit earlier. I think the best thing I can say is um, since 2015, if you want to summarise polling generally, P um, different pollsters have tried to adapt their polling methods to make them more accurate and to deal with the problems that happened there. And there's lots of different ways. I mean, probably you could do a whole podcast on it um, as to how we've done that and how others have done that. So like a, a big one being factoring in things like education weighting and that sort of thing. But I think that the biggest thing we did um, in the Euros was not mess around with the data too much. Um, not trying to second guess turnout based on past behavior and this sort of thing, which is something that people have been trialing since 2015. And I think it's sort of been vindicated a bit um, because ultimately... In this new era where you've got people that are motivated by Brexit, I think particularly in this election, um, it's very hard to to call turnout or, or to model turnout based on what's happened before. I mean, in a way, you have to kind of rely on self self um, identified turnout. So people basically telling the pollster that they're going to show up and, and that they're telling you the truth. 
it has its problems, um, but that's largely um, uh, largely what we did. 10 out of 10 certain to vote among registered voters. And it was Telephone, um, which is interesting. I'm not going to sit here and say I think Telephone has now become the best methodology, but it is it, that is one of the variables uh, with, with all the pollsters. We were on the phone. I don't think anybody else was. And I think the final thing was that we were very, very close up to the um, the day itself. So that our poll was Monday to Wednesday night. And obviously the election was on Thursday. So I don't know if we had a smoking gun in any of that. And to be honest, uh, a cursory look at our numbers suggests that there wasn't really much of a late swing or anything. You know, we had pretty much the same numbers on the Monday, the Tuesday and the Wednesday. But those are the, those are the kind of things that um, um, that came out of it. And I think that the big lesson for me is trust your data a bit more um, when it when it says something controversial. I mean, Salvation did very well at the general election on that basis, you know, um, sort of being a bit of an outlier, but but trusting it. And I think that that's, that's kind of what you've got to do rather than second guess it, because that's when you get yourself in all sorts of trouble. Yeah, well, that's really interesting. I mean, your point about, uh, well, you as you just said, there was no direct evidence of a late swing. I guess it's kind of circumstantial evidence of a late swing. Um, sort of feels, feels very intuitively appealing, you know, obviously, uh, as we've been alluding to, it sort of felt like the Lib Dems came up very quickly as um, the referendum, sort of the terms of the debate got clearer. Um, so sort of it's easy, it's tempting to jump on that as as the explanation. But as you say, say there's plenty of other things. And yeah, there's sort of this question of, do you muck about with the data? Do you not muck about with the data? I mean, it's sort of, yeah, you can kind of think about it as um, as a sort of pure, purist and philosophical question i mean in in the end there's uh, so many other variables in there and um sort of try trying to uh trying to get to get it right by changing the right kind of things in the right way is obviously enormously tricky but you know that's why polling agencies have data scientists to to try and work this out isn't it yeah and i think that each election is different that's a really important point because you know just because we didn't really muck muck about for one of a better phrase or mo- try to model turnout too much with this election doesn't mean we won't do it in the future with other elections you know but i think it's um the lesson definitely is that if, you, if, you, if your numbers look surprising don't try and manipulate them to th- what you might think they, they could be uh, if that makes sense well i mean and that's obviously one of the systemic systematic problems when you get start getting herding of the polling agencies if two or three of the agencies are producing numbers that are quite close together and then suddenly in the last poll before the election everyone's producing numbers that look very similar that feels very much like a signal that the agencies have tried to shave off some numbers away from the outliers which i think uh, that I, I don't think it was ever proved but it uh, for the 2015 election the numbers certainly looked very much like that um and I'm sure there'll be people who will tell me that, that that didn't happen, but I have to say I've never been convinced that there wasn't an element of that because of to, be, the, to be honest, the only I'm not sure the, the only smoking gun you ever get of stuff like that is if someone just randomly decides to change their approach on, at the last minute. So if someone says, "Oh, I'm going to reallocate all my don't knows a certain way now," and they haven't done that all the way through, um, and then they suddenly do it, you know, it's like big big ticket things like that. Normally, a tweaking of a weighting here and there doesn't tend to have a humongous impact. I mean, it might be, could move things a point here and there, that's true. But I mean, you know, if you want to have a really seismic, if you think you're wrong and you really want to change it dramatically, you've got to do something quite dramatic. Um, speaking of dramatic, neat little segue there. Um, I mean, there's been <laughs> the last three voting intention polls that I've seen, have had three different leaders. So we've had um, the Brexit party ahead in a poll with opinion. Um, we've had Salvation, I think, had Labour ahead. And who was the other one? 
YouGov uh, had the Lib Dems ahead, uh, which was uh, sort of caused a stir when that came out, and the Brexit party in second. Mm. So, as you say, three different leaders, also uh, two of whom hadn't led a poll for, uh, oh God, I've put myself on the spot here, for many years since last time. <laughs> for several uh, years. I mean, uh, Lib- 2012, was it? Something like that. Maybe 2015, I can't remember, but uh, certainly not since uh, the last election or the one before. The Lib Dems was 2010, wasn't it? Not 2015, of course not. Um, um, several Clive. years. I agree with Nick. I agree with Nick has become I agree with Vince, or now soon to be Joe, you'd imagine. Um, I mean, people have been asking about this as well. I think it's, you've got to be, um, I would say the phrase I use to people is I, I take these numbers seriously, but carefully, right? Um, it's serious because there has clearly been a seismic drop in support for the two main parties. We are now seeing that at the ballot box, okay, in very specific elections, like the locals and the um, the Euros. But we are seeing that in real in a real world scenario. It's not It's more than just um, what polling is saying. Um, but at the same time, it doesn't mean in a general election that we should be getting out electoral calculus, putting the numbers in and assuming the Brexit party are going to get 100 seats or the Lib Dems are going to get you know, 150 seats or whatever it might be. Um, I mean, Rob Ford made a very good uh, thread on Twitter where he sort of pointed out that there does come a point where um, you sort of break the dam, as it were, like the SNP did in Scotland. And if you get to a certain level, then, yeah, I mean, the, the dominoes start falling, regardless of um, your, your heritage or otherwise in winning certain yeah. seats. But I just I would just take a little bit of care with these first tranche of polls outside of the um, the Euros. Let's see where we are a month from now. I mean, you could you could pick at some of the those individual pollsters, um, not as as pollsters, but like you could look at sort of the opinion did overstate um, the Brexit Party quite a lot in the Euros. Um, that's not a criticism, but I just, I'm just saying that they they have the Brexit Party ahead. So maybe um, there's a bit of overstating going on there, a bit of a house effect. I'm not sure. Um, similarly, I think Salvation um, didn't have uh, Labour as low as they were in the Euros. Now, these are different polls. One's Westminster, one's Euros. But I think that we just need to be very, very careful before we start saying, OK, the Tories and Labour are dead. That's been said before several times. These are not in a general election situation at the moment. We're not picking the prime minister. It's important stuff. Um, so, yes, like I think I'm 90 percent with you, but I do think that we should just pay attention to to what we were just talking about and um if we're right that brexit has now broken through as the major salient issue in british politics then um ignoring the way that the parties are aligned um at that point i think might not be the right thing to do um so yeah not to say that a a general election tomorrow really would get 20 percent for 22 percent for the the big big four parties if we can call them that now um but i think what what's going on now isn't necessarily just a angry protest vote and people thinking they're voting in pr european elections i think the there is a logic here that we've been saying for for months if not years that the two main parties and their leaders are historically unpopular and they have very thin positions on the issue that is the most salient well the long-term two parties that uh, have leaders well potentially more popular or less unpopular at least more popular among certain groups and they have very clear de- uh, positions on the, the main issue of the day i think i wouldn't be quite so quick as uh, to say that this that we shouldn't expect to see this reflected in uh, in wider polls you know not to say definitely but um i think we should be a bit more cautious about writing it off 
No, I, mean, I wouldn't write it off as in that it's going to disappear into the ether, but I think that there was. Um, it's very easy to jump on individual polls in a very specific context and say, well, now this means uh, the Lib Dems are going to be you know, in three figures in terms of parliamentary seats. They've never been in anywhere near that. But as I said, you know, we'll have to wait and see. Um, let's talk about the Tories then. Let's talk about the, uh, um, on the subject of prime ministers. There's going to be a new one soon, isn't there? Um, the conventional wisdom seems to be uh, that Boris Johnson is in a very, very strong place. Um, I don't want to say insurmountable, but like it seems to be what people are gradually coming around to the idea. Um that he's going to be the next prime minister. I mean, what, what do you make of the race so far? Well, let's start with saying the thing that uh, everyone says, because it's true that front runners never win the Tory leadership election. So, um, and he's been the yeah, front runner before. Oh uh, yeah. Well, right. Yeah. So um, I don't, I don't think the fact he's front runner is, is in itself a reason to be uh, supremely confident for him. Um, so um, I think, We've got to remember that this is a two-stage electorate election amongst two different electorates, and at the moment we're talking about what three hundred odd Tory MPs are going to do. Um, now, obviously, they're looking at uh, multiple reasons, like and you know, let's boil it down to um, what their candidates will do on Brexit and what will ha- what would or will happen in a general election, um, and. Among Tory members, it's very clear that uh, Boris Johnson and then Dominic Raab, so the two two of the uh, fairly to very hardline, no deal pro Brexit candidates, are the most popular. Um, whether that translates to what happens among Tory MPs, I think, is less clear. And obviously, we don't have particularly good evidence about that other than the number of nominations at the moment which sort of hasn't really shown that much um but ultimately it's really hard to avoid the conclusion that whoever wins this now is going to have to face the electorate either in a general election or uh in some kind of confirmatory vote second referendum so it feels inescapable that whoever the Tory MPs are choosing, they've got to be looking for someone who is an electoral asset. And I guess for me, that's why it still feels like the way Tory MPs seem to be thinking of it is that Boris Johnson is the obvious person there. Now, I think that's, that's a useful question for us to discuss about whether it's true that he really is an electoral asset now. Well, let, let's come let, hold that thought. Um... I mean, on the question of the Tory leadership, it reminds me an awful lot, not just because of the obvious comparisons people make, um, but it reminds me an awful lot of uh, 2016 in America uh, with the Republican race. Now, I mean, whether you compare Boris Johnson to Trump or not is is, is up to the listener. You know, that's not really the point I'm trying to make. Um, but that was a wide, crowded field, uh, many, many candidates, none of which really stood out. And there was one very clear candidate that... Um, that did stand out and was popular on the grassroots. I mean, maybe Johnson's actually even more popular among Conservative members than Trump ever was among the Republican sort of primary uh, voter. Um, but, you know, Trump was the the box office, uh, for want of a better phrase, uh, sort of candidate that the media would, uh, would, would would flock to. And yes, Johnson is obviously very di- is different in some ways, but it feels similar to me. And it, there isn't an obvious kind of standout candidate i'm not convinced that the sort of safe pair of hands works in this election in the same way it did with Theresa may in the immediate aftermath of brexit 
Um, a cynic would say that Dominic Raab is doing um, Boris Johnson a hell of a lot of favours at the moment um, by being even more extreme on Brexit, by sort of talking about prorogue in Parliament and all this sort of stuff. Um, maybe that will make lots of Conservative MPs think that Boris Johnson isn't that bad after all. Um, and I, yeah, I mean, in terms of going to the membership, I'm not quite sure who can beat Boris Johnson when it gets to the membership. Um, maybe Boris Johnson himself uh, by sort of crashing and burning in some way. Um, but I think you'd have to look at Michael Gove as someone that could convincingly go to the membership and, you know, sell hard truths on Brexit and it being further, you know, it, it being delayed further beyond October, let's say. Um, I don't know who else could make that argument. Um, on the on the sort of uh, electability question, that is an interesting one. I mean, I, I've um, thrown out Ipsos Mori numbers for a while, um, which show I think Boris Johnson, on the agree, disagree, has what it takes to make a good prime minister. 25% say Boris Johnson does, 64% say doesn't. Um, obviously, pretty bad numbers at face value. But this is among the general public, among, right? Sorry, yes, I should make that clear. This is among the general public. Um, his numbers among Tory voters, not members, Tory voters aren't that much better. Um, but at the same time, I've gone a little bit full circle. I'm not sure I'm all the way there yet, um, but I, I, I was making the point that, that he's, he's, he's going to be electorally toxic, and I think he will be among certain people. Um, but actually, if you look at the numbers, he gets the most amount of people that say he is a credible prime minister compared to other candidates, granted many of whom aren't that well known. And there's just a bit of me that wonders, and this is the intangible, this is the judgment call, in a general election against Jeremy Corbyn, I just wonder if Boris Johnson's style might help him out, help him out a lot. The real unknown variable um, is you know, what actually happens in the event of a no-deal Brexit. But if there's an election where that hasn't happened yet, so like in September or something, I can sort of see how Boris Johnson not gets anywhere near 40% of the vote, but you can see a way that his, his Conservative Party gets 30% of the vote, let's say, in a very fractured electorate where Labour can't quite get back enough of those Lib Dem votes, and that's enough to keep the Conservatives in power. You, it is eye-of-the-needle stuff, I would say, um, but I, having sort of written him off maybe a few weeks ago, I'm starting to wonder. But I might have egg on my face very soon. What do you think? Yeah, so I think... I forgot I feel to say, like I mean, should... I think, sorry, there's one other obvious point, which is that, you know, in terms of electorally, he's got to win back the Brexit party voters, but go on. Well, so for me, you put in a caveat there that I think you kind of dropped in as unimportant, but I think is actually crucial, which is um, John, uh, Johnson has far fewer... Uh, don't know is not the other candidates. So sh so he's got the highest, so on this question of has what it takes to be a good prime minister, he's got the highest agree and the highest disagree. He's only got 11%, uh, I think, if I've done my sums right yet, who don't give an answer there. That's a lot more than any of the other candidates. So uh, it looks to me like Gove is probably next, who has 28% uh, don't know. So all the other can candidates have a lot more room to grow their agree what it takes. So to give the most extreme example, Rory Stewart only has 30% who disagree, only has 11% who agree. Now that's clearly because most people haven't heard of him. But if Rory Stewart were to have an extremely successful breakout with the public, suddenly he could find he's 60% agree that he has what it takes to be a good prime minister, which to be honest, I don't think is a totally implausible number uh, for for someone in his position. Now, I think that's very different from uh, uh, ability to win win amongst the members, but 
Um, or win back Brexit think, party voters, right? Well, well, so so that's that's what I'm going to come to in a minute. But I think the fact that Johnson is winning on agree, um, but uh, only so narrowly ahead of the others, I think is very telling. I think his ceiling at the moment is very low. His ceiling is probably the lowest because he's been in frontline politics for so long that he's alienated so many people that he does have a fan base and it's a bigger fan base than if any of the others at the moment, but he also has more opponents. So I'm not convinced he grows the party vote that much, but, and this is a really important, but if you're looking uh, for the Tories to be fighting and seeking to win an election um, soon, then it feels to me a plausible strategy, maybe not the only one, but a plausible strategy is to have a leader who explicitly tries to push for a very hard Brexit, um, possibly no deal, Parliament rejects it, but the leader is uh, very clearly at the forefront of trying to get a hard Brexit through and is frustrated by Parliament. They then call the general election, let's call it the crush the saboteurs election, to coin a phrase, and... Uh, they use that as a way of trying to win back the the Brexit party vote. At the same time, Labour's position uh, is still as incoherent as it's been for a long time, and thus the Labour vote continues to be split uh, with the Lib Dems and Greens. So the Tories are able to reunify the Brexiters, probably lose a lot of uh, their Remain supporters, uh, but a lot of those don't go to Labour, they go to the Lib Dems. And low, you have a Tory party that can um, can muster, let's say, 35% of the vote or 33% of the vote or 32% up against a Labour party that can get 28, Lib Dems getting 20, Greens getting 11 or something. And, uh, and, and the Brexit party perhaps way down because a lot of their votes have come home to the Tories. And therefore, Boris Johnson is able to be re-elected, possibly on a larger majority, and is able to get a hard Brexit through. Now, I'm not saying that that is particularly likely to happen electorally but as a story as a path for his campaign now of what he would do that doesn't feel so ridiculous as to to write it off and i think other candidates need to have an electoral path that can counter that because it's a storyline that i could see being reasonably convincing for tory mps who are extremely worried about the brexit vote yeah, I mean, I was at an event today and one of the speakers uh, suggested that actually Jeremy Corbyn would quite like Boris Johnson as a Tory leader because um, his dream general election campaign is running against Boris Johnson and Nigel Farage. Um, but I mean, it's sort of that sort of maybe overlooked the Lib Dems a little bit. I mean, I, I, I think I mean, we won't do it on this podcast, but something for listeners to really, really zero in on is, is Lib Dem conservative marginals in the Southwest and elsewhere. Um, they are going to be very important. And I, I do wonder whether... Um, that could be the biggest argument against Johnson is how does he win those? But I keep coming back to the well, central point. But the Lib Dem Tory modules are quite diverse, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, and quite Brexit uh, you in some you cases. You the South West, which are quite Brexit-y, mm. but then there's places like Twickenham and Richmond, which are very Levy, so uh, I'm not sure there'll be a simple story for them. Yeah, but I, I keep coming back to the central point is that the Brexit party is a much more obvious and immediate threat to the Tories. Um, the Lib Dem threat is there, it's very, you know, it is important, and there are lots of Tory Remainers out there um but you know time will tell i mean let's find a couple of minutes leo on peterborough and um, that's coming tonight um probably a really stupid idea for us to make outlandish predictions um given that you know by the time people listen to this they'll know the result um but i suppose it, it feels like something that's okay it's going to be history quite quickly um but it's going to be interesting isn't it because we want to see if the brexit party can actually win their first parliamentary seat which is something that always um 
UKIP always struggled with, didn't they? I mean, they, they did get two, but very specific circumstances, weren't they, with defecting Tory MPs standing, um, you know, Mark Reckless and Douglas Carswell. If they picked off a by-election in Peterborough, which was 60% leave, I mean, it would feel significant, and not least for the impact it might have on the, the Conservative Party and where they go. Yeah, um, uh, I, I'm not sure I've got anything to add to that other than to say perhaps its significance would be greater in the, the retelling than the reality that I feel like this would be another by-election or is another by-election under extremely special circumstances where Brexit is so much the issue right now, where it's just been straight after European election, where it's a by-election, which is never a particularly useful guide to what's actually going to happen in a Westminster election. So mm. all of that will happen. Um, so Brexit Party, as we speak, are clear, clear favourites. Um, and so assuming that they do win, of course, that'll be the narrative and it'll give them a sense of, of momentum. And that in itself will be very important. I guess what I'm saying is, I, su- I, I would suggest that that momentum and importance were perhaps be greater than their electoral potential might be perhaps to somewhat contradict what i said earlier um about about the sort of um uh, longevity of of their current polling but or durability of their current polling but nonetheless i think i would be a bit i would suggest not overreading too much whatever happens uh in the in the poll yeah and to be honest final word here i mean i think I, I don't expect it to prompt any great sort of um, come to Jesus moment for the Labour Party on on their Brexit policy either, because I mean even if the Lib Dems did manage to sort of storm it into second place, and bear in mind they got three percent of the vote in the last general election in Peterborough, but obviously times have significantly moved on even in two years. Um, but you know the people in Labour that don't want to change and uh, Brexit policy or don't want to become more um, obviously remain. Uh, we'll just say, well, look, the Brexit party just won the seat. So why are you talking yeah, about the Lib Dems yeah, coming in second? Yeah, exactly. So I don't expect it, you know, for people that want that to be the outcome uh, and say it's more interesting to look at the Labour side, I'm not sure I agree because you can. there's an obvious counter-argument, isn't there? Anyway, that's all we've got time for for this week's uh, Political Betting Polling Matters podcast. Uh, lots to cover in that one. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, as ever, if I could ask uh, listeners to share the podcast on social media, give us a nice rating on iTunes and other podcast apps, or just tell a friend about us, anything you can do to share the word about the podcast is very much uh, gratefully received. But for now, thanks as ever for listening and have a great weekend.